Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Dana Larson. On this episode, we're with Michael and Sarah Floyd. Of Together, Michael and Sarah shared a dream of owning a historic farmhouse in the country as a creative space for their art and design studio of bringing that dream to light. From what brought them to Kansas, to Sarah's tips and tricks for finding historic properties and creative ways. This is a journey that celebrates the humble farmer from centuries past and highlights the importance of preserving these places for the generations to and farm have become more than just a project for their family. Smurf Briarton Farm in Kansas. And that includes their newly adopted daughter, Ellie. This is a story that I know you're going to love. So here we go with Michael and Sarah Floyd. Okay, well, we're here with Michael and Sarah Floyd of Briarton Farm in rural Kansas. Thank you guys so much for being on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having us. We're honored. I'm so glad you're here. You guys have been on my bucket list for a while. So tell us about you. Are you both originally from Kansas? No. (laughs) No. I'm from Oklahoma, and um, Michael's from Georgia. So we lived near his family for the first couple years of our marriage. And then um, we wanted to kind of give it back to my part of the country once we started having kids. And a lot of that was because land is super expensive up in Georgia. And there's just so many trees. You can't see the sunset. (laughs) And there's (laughs) just so many people. It's like very populated. And I was just missing um, the open prairies. And so we just looked for a place near my folks, and this is kind of where we ended up. They're on the, the border of Oklahoma. So we're we're pretty close to them. Like a weekend trip. Yeah, which Perfect. works out great. Uh, caught, you know, we're still really independent, um, and we've had to rely on and on ourselves for everything. It forced us to, to do all of this by ourselves, but at the same time, on a weekend, they can come and visit. It makes it really special. And they're not too far away, a couple hours. So that worked out. Yeah. (laughs) People laugh at us because we just wanted to, like our goal was to find a historic farm and we had a really small budget. So we kind of drew a circle, like a four hour radius around my parents (laughs) and said, we would like to live in this area. And we told a realtor, like, can you help us find a historic farm in that area in in a four hour radius? And he was like, um, I don't do four hour radiuses. (laughs) It's kind of a weird request. (laughs) So I ended up finding this place on Zillow myself, um, as well as a couple other farms. And this is the one we ended up with, uh, and it really, it, it was, wasn't it like 100000 I forget now. We've been yeah. here eight years. So we paid 100000 for this little farm. Yeah, we had, we had kind of a crazy situation because um, when we were in Georgia, uh, we, we bought our first house right, right after the crash um, in 2010. And so the market was really low. And I had a super low-paying job. Um, and so we were scraping by just to get any sort of a house, have enough money to have any sort of a house. But we managed to um, 
get a loan on this beautiful home um, in a suburb of Atlanta. And it was this home built in a little after 1900. Um, it was a Victorian cottage with a huge uh, southern front porch on it. You know, it had the 12-foot ceilings, it had the original floors, uh, Victorian moldings, um, and it had some nice updates to it as well. And so we... It was a foreclosure, so, you know, we were like newlyweds who were eating noodles pretty much for every meal, you know. And we had, like, no money, and we had a little dog, and that's it. And we were taking her for a walk, and we found this foreclosed. I'm like, just see how much it is. Yeah, she was looking in the window, and she was like, wow, it's got crown molding, and it's it's beautiful. Stained it's glass got, windows. And... You know, it's got granite countertops and all this stuff. And I'm like, we can't afford this. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have any money. But they had this little thing on the front where you just, like, text the number, and it came back, and it was, like, 74000 Nine hundred dollars, and I was like, "What? Wow!" Like, so shouldn't we there be a on one that. at the beginning of that? We jumped on that, and um, that was kind of. I think a lot of people think when you buy a buy a historic house, you need to already be rich. But um, a lot of these, you know, old houses, even though it was a foreclosure, a lot of these old houses, people just don't appreciate old. Right. Um, for some reason, they want new, and they don't understand that. Old houses just come with hardwood floors in every room. They just come with it, you know. Yeah. Um, they come with fireplaces and beautiful tile and these things that you would pay a fortune for now. But these old houses, you know, they might have a few raccoons in them. Right. And, yeah. but, and you have to, you know, fix them up a little bit. But buying an old house, it comes with kind of the story and soul that can only be created over a hundred years or more you know you can't you can't manufacture that and we were so excited to get this old house the only problem with it was it was in the middle of the city and we were both country kids he grew up on yeah I grew up on six acres and I grew up on 10 acres and I grew up on 10 acres and we were just like there's neighbors (laughs) (laughs) what do we do there's (laughs) neighbors So that was interesting, and we were also on a busy street, so we loved our house so much, but it was just too crazy. There was actually, somebody got a motor, a girl on a motorcycle got hit by a truck, and her body landed in our front yard, and I think that was one of the things that made me realize, "Mm, raising children here, mm, in this yard, I don't know. Yeah. That was so terrifying. Wow. So, um, I think she survived. We don't, we don't actually know for sure what happened to her. That was really scary. Yeah. Then we started looking for farms. And because I had decorated the living daylights out of that house, Uh (laughs) um, we were able to sell it for like double what we, what we bought it for. Yeah. Um, the market really came back in full force about five years after that. And the whole time we had been just doing all kinds of little projects, painting. I don't know how many gallons of of paint we went through. Um, But we painted the inside and the outside, just did a lot of things, (laughs) a lot of things as well to just, you know, touch it up and make it look nice. 
um, and things like that. And we ended up selling it for $200,000. Wow. Which was insane. So we, we went to the closing table and um, sold that house and then had a U-Haul in our car, caravaned from Georgia to Kansas, and the next day sat down at the closing table and paid cash for our house that we have now. Um, Amazing. Right around the time I was turning 30, and so I'm like, wow, we got this, like, house thing figured out. We're right where we want to be. You know, we're going to jump in. We're just going to do all the same kind of stuff we did in the last house, and it's going to be perfect. Yeah. It's going to be great. And it didn't exactly turn out that way. <laughs> um, so, you know, we've been here for... It'll be eight years in May. Going on eight years. And we still have an entire two-room part of our house that basically hasn't been uh, touched. I mean, it's been touched, but not. it's only been demoed. It hasn't had anything put back into it um, and become a living space again. So... I think the question was, how did you end up in Kansas, though? How did we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not real good at, like, sticking to the question. No, 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 so that's okay. To... You're good. This is all so good. So, yeah, did you, like, did you end up finding it online? What's... Yeah, we found it online. Um, I learned the way to get a historic farm online is to utilize Zillow's um, search bar in a unique way. Um, so if you go to Zillow, they have a little drop down and you can put in the year of the house, the square footage of the house you're looking for, how many acres you're looking for. And, you know, a lot of people don't understand that if you're wanting a historic farm, you can't put that you want two bathrooms. Sure. Um, (laughs) so one trick I learned is that, you know, you can always add a bathroom, but when you're searching, don't put in what you are envisioning, like, down the road. Put what would have been uh, kind of available in the time period of the house you're looking for. So, like, in the 1800s and early 1900s, they would have only put one bathroom eventually into their house. And if a farm, old farmhouse has more than two bathrooms, it's already probably been renovated and all of the charm is possibly gone. So kind of go back to the basics, put in the year, uh, I put in 1700s, there's nothing in Kansas that's 1700s, but I put 1700s to 1945. I wasn't interested in looking at anything younger than 1945. Because, uh, you know, after the war, they stopped really building the houses um, in that really rich way. Uh, mm-hmm. I think all of their resources probably were used up from the war. There was a baby boom. There was all these things that happened that made them build houses in a different way, and they really have never looked back. Right. Um, so I just used that Zillow drop-down box, and I really get specific, and it narrows it down. But you have to be like me and and be and make that four hour radius. You have to be willing to live. You know, some of my friends are like, "How far do you live from Starbucks?" I'm like, "I don't know. I don't go to Starbucks." <laughs> <laughs> like you have to kind of let go of a lot of those maybe comfort things that you're used to being in a 
hop in the car and go to Target. You know, I'm not one of those girls anymore. I don't know if I ever was, but you, you, you're looking for very rural. You're looking for, um, you, we were able to find this place because we, we really lowered our expectations for, uh, square footage and bathrooms and things that most people are willing to pay a lot of money for. And that also will get you a less expensive house too. Yeah. Um, so those are some tricks that people can use if they're wanting an authentic farmhouse, not like one of those trendy um, new farmhouses, but like a, a real farm, old farmhouse with all of the character probably still at least mostly intact um, is put uh, maybe more like 1,500, 1,600 square foot, um, one bathroom, put... Uh, maybe a few acres put maybe you could put barn on there but some of those barns have probably been torn down we were so fortunate to still have one of our barns Um, and then make sure you do the year and that's how I found it and I actually found a handful um, but this is the one that we were able to get they go they do go kind of fast and since COVID I've noticed people are wanting to go back Um, to what their grandparents would have done. Mm -hmm. They're kind of craving that simple life again. And they are harder to get, I've noticed. So we really got in there at a good time, too, as well, in 2014. So, Yeah, people in the country tend to not move as much as people in the city. So, yeah, there's generally just fewer houses at a time. So you're probably going to have to be a lot more patient. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. that's that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. So when you found it, did you were you kind of like, okay, now we need to find a job, or did yeah. you just yep okay yeah I already <laughs> we did house first then job yeah wow. I already had a an interview lined up um, just for a simple like warehouse job um, so it wasn't really unlikely that I wasn't going to get it but yeah we didn't I didn't technically have a job when we paid. You know, well, um, because we when decided, we bought the house, yeah, we decided but, our careers—a career, a fancy career—was not what we wanted out of life. We really wanted um, our our priorities were, yeah, I mean, we need to pay the bills, um, but we wanted to have a lot of time to focus on family time, and um, we wanted to raise our girls in the country like we were raised. We wanted yep. to homeschool them like we were homeschooled. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, okay, let's find our top priority is our house. We'll find the house first and then we'll find the job. And we'll just he'll just do whatever job we can find. Yeah. And since warehouse jobs are everywhere, um, that was a simple solution. And he he actually has hours that are indicative or like helpful to our lifestyle as well yeah i'm off in the mornings so we can do we do things together as a family in the mornings and then i work but that's not what usually people do usually they find the job and then they try to find the house well then you're probably going to end up you're going to have to maybe sacrifice and end up with a house that you don't love as much so you have to kind of think through that what is more important to you is is it a career 
is it getting that boat or whatever, you know, that, what is that thing that you're striving for? And for us, it was just to get a little piece of, of country and, and a place to raise our kids. That wasn't going to have somebody on a motorcycle in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. No, I love yeah. that so much. So help us understand what condition the farm was in when you got there and kind of where you started. Oh, man. Um, so, I mean, there's different, there's different, there's good and bad to farms being in different situations because it could have been, you know, that we moved in and everything had been renovated and they had fixed kind of underlining practical problems, but they had taken out all the charm. But that's not at all what we came into. We came into the opposite. Um, there were practical things um, that had been not addressed in a long for a long time, um, but there was so much of the original material still here. It was very untouched. Yeah. Um, which is what uh, made made us choose this house. So it still had all the original windows. It was very important to us. Um, and you know all all the original moldings and and details wood wood details you know um but it looked it was all covered in plastic like they had put in a plastic case all over everything so we weren't really sure of the state of the house we just thought well we'll peel it back and we'll we'll do what we did at the last house we'll just paint everything and we'll we'll fix it up it's probably just cosmetic and it did pass an inspection, uh, but because the crawl space is... Almost most of the house has about a one-foot space between the floor, board, uh, between the joists and the dirt below wow. it, which is almost impossible to get into. Yes. <laughs> so the inspector um, went yeah, under Yeah, so there. your inspector's not going under there to look at things. And um, because there was vinyl all over the outside... Yeah, there was vinyl all over the outside. There were uh, aluminum storm windows over the original windows. Um, they had put down kind of indoor-outdoor carpet that they just kind of threw over the top of the original wood floors on the inside. Um, most of the house still had the original plaster. Um, in many places, it had been wallpapered over several times, you know, and that was the only reason it was, wasn't was coming off the walls. Um, but so many of the things were still there, you mm -hmm. know. A lot of the doors were still there. Um, but the thing that we found out was that the um, the vinyl and the way that they had um, just put it over the top of the wood and then the way that they had put those storm windows over and the way that they had done, uh, caulked around it and things. And as well as putting in, um, you know, window units, window AC units, um, all these things kind of worked together to let water just soak the window sills. And then that just went down to the base of the house and rotted out, you know, the mud sill and the rim joists and the, the floor joists, there was just damage all over. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't the only place where there was damage. It was the corners as well. Every um, corner of the house. Yeah. So, so instead of, you know, going in and, 
and doing uh, the structural repairs. They just put vinyl over the top of it. Yeah. And there I wasn't, think... it wasn't in a way that would allow it to, like all the seams just kind of let the water, you know, go in. Um, and so there was a lot of rot around where the seams on the vinyl were. So all of that really led to a lot of issues. Um, and the room that we're, that we're working on now was the room where they put the original um, plumbing. And so that room was also on the south side of the house. It had, had roof leaks over time. So you had all kinds of, um, you had the kitchen and the bathroom uh, right next to each other. So you had all this stuff, all this moisture in that one little area that just combined to get a lot of, a lot of water issues over there. Yeah. So what we, we lived here for a year and we were, you know, slowly um, doing our cosmetic things. We were so excited. Wow. We have our house paid off. Um, we're on budget. We have all this money saved and we're going to, we're going to redo pretty much the only um, modern and inappropriate looking thing was the kitchen and the bathroom. So that's where our leftover money was going to go. And we lived here for a year. And at that point we had a newborn and a three-year-old. And we noticed that under one of the windows in the living room that the wall was kind of squishy and moving. Oh, <laughs> like, man. Hmm, that doesn't, the, the plaster was just like moving when you touched it. And then we, when we pulled up the carpet, there was a giant hole in the floor in that same area. And they had just duct tape over the hole in the floor and then put the carpet over the duct tape. <laughs> like, well, hmm, oh I wonder goodness. if that's an animal hole. And we just weren't, it wasn't connecting. And then one day we went outside and we peeled up the vinyl and we, <gasps> we just noticed that the whole entire house was not sitting on anything. Like we had the, the, the stone foundation, but what connects your wooden house to a stone foundation is your sill plate and all those bottom wood pieces. Like he mentioned, the joists. Uh, the sill plate, the the floor uh, the floor studding, and all those bottom pieces. So like three feet up, all the way around our house, had been soaked with water. Then the plastic was not allowing that to dry, and you know when you have this moist, mushy wood, termites come in, and they ate everything away. And we had been oh. living here in rural Kansas, where you know the wind. Um, is so strong. Uh-huh. It's like Tornado Alley. <laughs> it was a miracle that we were alive. It was kind of crazy that our house could have fallen over and killed us. <laughs> it was not. Wow. It was not safe. I remember seeing that on Instagram when you guys were starting with the siding. And it was it was hard to wrap your head around, really. Like, wow. <laughs> this is why we're <laughs> this is why we're very adamant. We try to tell everybody, do not, if you have a wooded, wooden house with wood siding, do not put vinyl over it. You know, that's marketed to people, especially elderly people who are tired of painting their house and um, the upkeep, the, it's marketed to them as a maintenance-free product, but it, it's anything but maintenance-free. I mean, um, it, it gets brittle. After many years um, from the sun, and it can break very easily, um, water can get in like a good storm, like a good hard storm. Water will get in between your layers, 
and after that there's nowhere for it to go yeah and that's kind of what happened over several decades and so that there went all of our kitchen money there went all of our bathroom money <laughs> and now we're now we don't have a paid for house because we ended up having to get what is it called like a construction loan it's a home equity line credit okay mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So yeah. we're now we're like everybody else, but right. <laughs> yeah, at it's least about, it's about financially. It's about what we were in the last house, but we've been able to address a lot more things. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. We we owe about the same amount that we did when we moved. Wow. <laughs> but, hmm. but the thing is that now we're you know we're where we want to be, and this isn't we're not buying this house you know to fix it up and sell it. It's about making it what we want Mm -hmm. making the life yeah yeah because this is you've kind of planted yourselves here now yes for the long term (laughs) which is really great yeah michael well both of you i mean i know you both have worked on it but was this stuff that you had a background in or was it kind of learn as you go it was very much learn as you go um yeah at at our last house you know i went from absolutely nothing to just barely cracking the surface, you know, I think we were nailing stuff to the walls, uh, was or nailing up pictures and, um, you know, painting up high and I'm trying to remember anything really complicated um, we got there. Yeah. What did we get? Was there anything more complicated at our first house? Some little repairs, but it, it yeah, we, we... We did some things, but it, like, we had no money for, like, tools and... I didn't know what I was doing, so we were just trying to make it look pretty. Um, and then we we came here, and, you know, all of these things, a lot of these things were stuff that I had never even thought about. Um, and so I had books um, that I got, that I bought or got from the library. Um, you know, there was YouTube. Um, we just looked at blogs, and a lot of it was just, you know, you hire talk to a contractor they come out they look at it and you kind of assess it and they kind of point well you need to look at this and this and this and uh you just learn you know Mm -hmm. it's just something you learn over time but i i was not um like some sort of professional um I wouldn't have restorationist. Even, I mean, I'm I still not. I wouldn't have even but. called you handy when I married you. <laughs> I wouldn't no. have. No, you. No, no, no. Hanging up pictures was like the most of what you did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was very bookish, um, not super hands-on. We're both very artistic, yeah. but not. I wasn't like into woodworking or anything like that. All of that just came over time. Yeah, no. so that should encourage your listeners, like, you don't have to be a professional of anything. Um, you just have to have that willingness to learn, mm-hmm. to get your hands dirty, to have a good work ethic, and, and like, this hunger for for knowledge. And also, like, we got to this place where if, if we didn't fix something, we could be in the hospital. So <laughs> that kind of <laughs> motivates you, you know, to That's fix true. things. And when you when you get contractors out, and they're telling you these quotes that are astronomical, that motivates you as well to, well, let me see if I can figure out how to fix this myself. Mm -hmm. And we couldn't do a lot of the major structural things. Like, we don't do um, any major 
uh, electrical or plumbing and that structural stuff that we found the reason it took all of our budget is because we had to hire somebody to come in there they, they didn't really jack up the house yeah they, they, kinda... they did a little bit at a time they it was kind of um it was a cool technique yeah um it wasn't like the the house was like standing up you know um, yeah like you see sometimes where it's like you know multiple inches off the ground or anything yeah. it was just a little bit at a time he would remove a piece and then put some in yeah so i mean on this so that was the two-story section of the house um we're working right now on the one story and so i have actually been trying to fix a lot of those things myself because there's so little weight on the wall in that section um that i don't really have to be as worried about it uh collapsing the way that i would um, the other side of the house. So sometimes we can get into those things if it doesn't, you know, I just have to assess it yeah. and just kind of learn over time, grow, um, use what your last experience was and, you know, go on from there, you know, just try not to get too overconfident, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I just generally draw the line at, am I going to die or is the house going to fall over? And if either of those things is likely, then, you know, hire we're going to pay for it. Yeah. We're going to hire it out. <laughs> or the other thing is, are we going to cover it with walls and stuff and then try to use it and then realize, oh, I messed something up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's but good. other than that, almost everything that you can see, like finished surfaces, uh, we've, we've done. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So even when they did the the structural on the two-story part of the house we took up the flooring that was here carefully stored it and when they were done putting uh, repairing everything we took those same boards and put them down um, so the wood in this section on the floor is the same you know material that's been in this space for 129 years 129 years now yeah wow so, yeah, it's just, um, I would say that there's just so much material out there for mm -hmm. anybody who is interested in learning anything anymore. Um, you know, it's just a matter of taking the time. A lot of times it takes a while to find it. And a lot of times you have to take that information um, and then kind of run it through what's in front of you. Because, you know, you go on YouTube and the or whatever... And the tutorial is like this perfect situation. So you have to kind of take that and then look at, you know, what did the last guy or a bunch of people who were in this house do to the situation to make it weird or, you know, jerry-rigged or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then you have to kind of figure it out. So there is that combination of like, you, yeah, there is material out there that you can just go and find, you know, how to do stuff. But then there's a lot of just, you know, being resourceful and problem solving, thinking through things, getting someone else to look at it with you and figure out how to do it, you know? Yeah. One thing that I've really appreciated about the way you restored it is you really tried to keep the initial integrity of the house, the character, and the things that you have updated. You updated it in a way that it looked like it could have been original. So oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. That's what we're going for. That's You've done what we're a great job. <laughs> I it's I always think of um Emma and Gladys 
they were the two first mamas to love this house for over 50 years each. And um, I kind of have them on my shoulder, you know, like, what would Emma do? What would Gladys do? So Emma was here from 1878 um, until her death in 1946. And then um, the house, I guess, was they were trying to figure out which child to go through and, and all that and ended up selling it to the Howard family. And Gladys Howard was here from 1949 until the 1980s um, when she was moved to a nursing home, I believe. So um, those two women were, you know, so influential. You know, a farmer's wife is so integral to a farm's success. They work just as hard as the farmer. Um, and uh, so when I'm, I guess, designing, I'm not sure what it's called, what, what I what I do to the house, but it's just trying to, to decide what things go where and how the look is going to be, I always am keeping those two eras. So like the 19, the late 19... Hundreds to the early 1940s, maybe, um, is kind of where I try to keep it um, style-wise. And I feel like, okay, so like trends, when you're, when you're designing your home, if you're a historic homeowner, I feel like I always want to say to everybody, uh, you know, trends come and go, but staying true to the soul of your house is classic. So, you know, if you're following every passing trend with things that are more permanent, you're going to regret that and you're going to have to pay to get that redone. Um, so like in the more permanent things, it's important to stay true to the soul of your home. What is the story of your home? What's the architectural style of your home? Um, stay true to those things and it will just feel right and it will just look right. You know, a lot of the reason why people like how our house looks is because they didn't try to follow um, all of the passing tr trends that are going on. You know, maybe like in some things, like I think it's great if you have a favorite color um, or a favorite fabric, like a trendy um, pattern in fabric, that's a great way to kind of put your own personality into a space. But, you know... Or even a wall color is fine, but like the more permanent things and the more big style type things that you're doing to your home, if you're straying from the story of your house, it's not, it's, you're never, you're going to feel like something's not right. And, and it, it's probably because you didn't stay true to that soul of your house. Um, I don't think that necessarily applies to a newer house. I don't know how it would. Yeah, we're not. We're not that concerned <laughs> what people do with the houses after 1945. But when you see, like, someone buy an old home and then they just completely gut it and make it modern, it doesn't make sense. Like, why did you buy an old house? Like, that's the whole reason yeah. that your house is special is yeah. because of, you know, it's chopped up layout. I mean, I know, I know why they do it. They do it because it's easier. Oh. Um, it's easier to just gut it and then throw, you know, simple sheetrock and whatever flooring, you know, is in budget uh, back down and to put smaller, you know, 
inexpensive moldings around the windows and everything. You know, taking the time to take what's already there, set it aside, you know, while you're doing whatever needs to be addressed underneath and then putting it back is, mm. oh, it's, it's more, uh, it takes more time and yeah, more we, effort. I mean, we took up each individual floorboard and we had to be super careful not to break the tongue and the groove. And I have a lot of friends who have historic homes and, I'm, and they're like, well, it's very drafty because they didn't really do subfloors. Your hardwood floors would usually be the subfloor. And so what people tend to do when the floor is drafty is they just put modern flooring over it to deal with that. Yeah, and they but use that, it as a subfloor. Yeah, and they're using the historic wood and the old growth lumber and the beautiful floors that are there with the story scratched into them. They're just covering them up because it's easier. And and I get that. You know, who wants to live in a house that's like half gutted for for years like us <laughs> but you have to kind of think okay well what is what is the the true story of this house what is the what makes this house special what makes it beautiful what makes it what makes her her you know like I don't know how to explain it um when I see people just covering their floors to deal with the draft I, I, I want to share on Instagram and every and on my blog like no here's I mean this is going to take it's going to be harder but you can uh, save money, actually, because you're not buying any flooring. Carefully pull up each board, then just lay ply- plywood down, create your subfloor, and then put your original beautiful floors down. That is going to take double, if not triple, the length of time it would be to just go to Home Depot and buy a bunch of laminate flooring and putting over top. But you're not going to have, you cannot purchase story. You can't purchase story. That is something that takes love, life, um, ha- things happening to create. And your floors belong in your house. They're part of your house's story. I love that I'm literally walking in the footsteps of those farming families that struggled to survive here. Um, and and I can I can some sometimes see you know little scratches and in the floor and I'm like oh I wonder you know did a little did a little uh, boy drop you know his toy or you know I can see dips in the floor oh did the mommy always stand here um there's like grooves in the stairs where people always walked that's to me that's what makes an old house special yeah. you know yeah and all the while through all this renovation you've managed to keep it decorated and designed so beautifully. And you mentioned that you're both artists, but I feel like yeah. your house really is a work of art. It's beautiful. Oh, thank you. That Well, that was my coping mechanism, I think. <laughs> um, I would have like 90% of my house was being like an absolute disaster. And we would, uh, many year, a couple years, we were living in like one room at a time as we would go around. And so I would just like (laughs) make it pretty. Okay, I have one pretty, like that was my oasis, I guess, in Uh the chaos. Yeah, while we were working on this part of the house, uh, the what's now the dining room, we had the upstairs and then we had the dining room and and everything else was gutted downstairs. So it was weird. You like went down the stairs and then into the dining room and then out the front door and everything else (laughs) was, was just down to the studs basically. Yeah. So we had a fridge in the dining room, a couch in the dining room. Yeah. A dresser. Yeah. 
it was it was crazy but I tried to make all along the way I did try to make things cute and that's just how I saved my sanity I think was that if I had a little oasis or a little island of pretty I could just go there and be like oh okay <laughs> usually I would still be working on the room and she'd already start be like decorating it and like putting stuff in I'm like wait wait we're, like we're not done <laughs> <laughs> that's funny so, have you uncovered, like, any good surprises on the way? I I wish, like, a lot of people ask us, did you find any old, you know, money or really cool treasures? Um, this house, after the two major families lived here, it was bought up by a big farmer. And he he had renters in here for a long time. Um, and... The different renters, I think, got everything out of the attic. There's a little tiny attic. It's very tiny. Um, and I don't know if there was ever anything in the attic. I don't know. There wasn't... We haven't found anything exciting. I find, almost on a daily basis, I do find little bits of pottery or broken glass. Yeah, or we have, we have dozens of chickens, and so they're kind of constantly excavating the yard. <laughs> you know, they're, they're foraging, yeah. and they kick up the dirt, and then some little bit of something broken will be, will be there. We haven't found anything be, of, like, to be value. Honest, yeah, most of the things, um, most of the treasures were in plain sight. Mm -hmm. um, hidden in plain sight. Hidden in plain sight. Yeah, I mean, we didn't yeah. know for sure that all of the floors... In the downstairs, uh, we're still here because so of the carpet. Yeah, we moved in and we just kind of went nuts. Uh, we came in, we just started ripping stuff up, uh, ripping up, or not ripping stuff up, you know, ripping the floor up, uh, yeah, pulling the carpet, and um, seeing those floors underneath and all that. Um, that was exciting. Yeah, but we we pretty much assumed they were there. And then the, all the windows had a layer of plastic. It almost looked like plastic wrap, like saran wrap maybe, <laughs> stapled <laughs> every couple inches all the way around every single oh, window. Yeah. Then they had blinds over that. Then they had lace curtains over that, like shears, and then they had regular curtains over that. Um, There's weird stuff, like they plugged... What did they do? They like, plugged well, the, the ceiling fan into the plug under between the two over here and then went up the wall and then to it. Stapled a extension it. cord up the wall <laughs> and then had an extension cord plugged into a ceiling fan. That was the living room. That was the living light. room. That was like the fancy room. Wow. So, yeah. Um, We've So, have we found anything cool? We considered that cool. That was pretty cool and unique to have a extension cord stapled <laughs> to the wall. Um, but nothing of value. Ah, <laughs> uh, there was Got one it. time... On the back porch, remember we took off some of the vinyl and we found out that there was this really cool detailing. Oh, the corbels. Yeah, the corbels we on the back porch, and they were just we didn't know underneath they were there. it, yeah. um, oh. you know. And then there was some of the detailing around the top of the farmhouse uh, that we didn't know that was there. Was oh yeah, there's crown molding yeah, on the there's, exterior. There's of our crown house. molding That's on pretty. the on the exterior, but nothing like, um, you know, like. The Declaration of Independence no, or anything. No, there, there was a, what was it, is it called a tube bottom plow? Um, oh, yeah. That was here, but the owner sold it before we got here. There are, there are interesting things, like you go out um, in the field and there'll be 
something, a piece of a... Farm machinery. Farm machinery that a tree grew around. And so it's just sitting there. Um, We have multiple of those. I think one of them is in the goat pen. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of interesting stuff like that. Yeah. It's only cool to us, though. It's not really cool to us. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not like this great stash in the barn... Of, like, all these priceless antiques or anything like that, unfortunately. Was there ever a point where you got so far in and you're like, did you think about quitting? Like, this is not worth it? Or did you always know, like, if we keep going, this is going to be worth it? Um, definitely there was a lot of discouragement at times. Um, a lot of times I was just tired of it, tired of the process. Um, but honestly, we didn't really have anything else to do because the thing was the way that we jumped into it uh, as far as resale it was worth more when we got here than it was at that point you know even though we've been doing things to improve it we it, couldn't have sold it, it was it still in, the in that middle section in that middle stage you know where yeah it's getting better but nobody's going to want to buy it the way it is right now <laughs> yeah. and so we knew that there was only one we couldn't quit. direction to yeah. go yeah. was forward um, i i had i will say i had a couple i've had over the years a couple like mommy meltdowns i would call them or like mommy temper tantrums <laughs> maybe yeah you know like where the 2 year old cries and like kicks and screams not quite that ugly but where I just, you know, it took us four years to finish the kitchen. Um, we did, we've done so much of it DIY, and we do it in our spare time on a tight budget of a warehouse worker. Um, and it's just taking so long. And if you're somebody who has seen, like, HGTV, where the whole thing's done in 45 minutes, or, or you're just online and you're seeing all your friends have you know a kitchen and a bathroom (laughs) you start um you know having this self-pity and you're sitting I remember one time sitting in our one finish our one clean nice room downstairs the whole entire downstairs of the house was gutted to deal with that termite problem and I'm sitting in the dining room and I've got a newborn and and a toddler and I'm just crying because we're like squished and they're trying to play and we've got a fridge and a couch and like it was just so and I'm having this pity party and then I I had like this uh vision of um a mommy my age with little children in a developing country and she was sitting on her dirt floor of her one room hut cooking and she was singing, and I'm just thinking, like, I don't know where this picture is. You know, I'm very imaginative because I'm an artist, so I'm always, like, picturing things. And I'm like, wait a minute. I'm so blessed. Why am I, why am I feeling like this? I have so much. You know, my children have a clean, dry, warm place to sleep. Uh, we have food. We have a roof. We have clothes. It, it's not magazine pretty right now, but I have no reason to cry. And that's happened to me multiple times over the years, um, is that, that realization that if I'm on social media too much or if I'm watching Chip and Joanna too much or, or getting into the magazines and um, at, at grocery stores or something too much, 
you can quickly forget that nothing worth doing is easy and you know it's a process and there are so many people living with less that are living happily even even the original family that lived here on Briarton Farm um so like the one story portion of the house that we're working on that was the original claim shanty for this farmhouse it's what nine by 21 nine and a half by 20 nine and a half by 20 their entire family lived in that that was their house from 1878 until 1893 and so and they had four to five children depending on they did lose a baby at one point um and they're just all crammed in that little house and and if they could do it that pioneer spirit you know if they could do it and um and persevere like who am I to, you know, be pouting that I don't have a kitchen or I don't have a bedroom or I don't have a bathroom finished and pretty? Um, so that's something that our house has taught us um, over and over again. It taught us to be grateful, taught us to work hard, taught us what's important, um, taught us the what what is what is beautiful really mean like that authentic that we, we really appreciate authenticity more than ever before. Um, and so if we had, you know, given up or wanted or quit, um, we wouldn't have learned all those things and we wouldn't have these, these greater appreciations for these things that we didn't even really notice, I don't think, back when we were newlyweds. New, new to the journey, I guess. <laughs> That's so, so good. So you named it Briarton Farm. Yeah. <laughs> Where did you get the name from? Well, there's so many farms out there, and they all have really cute names, you know. There's like Blueberry Farm and, you know, Treetop Farm and all these cute little names, and it seemed like all the cute names were taken. And... We felt like Floyd Farm was really lame. Because <laughs> our last name is Floyd. I'm like, Floyd Farm, that just... So we are just kind of thinking about names. And we decided to kind of, instead of trying to put together cute words that already exist, we decided to make up our own word. And so Briar kind of stands for um, the wild, untamed prairie, you know, which is... When we bought this place, it was like a big briar patch. It was just like a tangled mess. There was trash everywhere. Nobody had lived here at least in a year. So nothing was yeah, mowed. A lot, of, a lot of things were overgrown. We we spent years just getting rid of trash that was on the property. There was a couch in the field. That was With the beehive in it. The beehive in it. Um, <laughs> that was an adventure. And so briar kind of, we kind of, decided the, f- the first part of the word stands for kind of the wild, untamed farm that it was. And then art, the A-R-T is at the, at the middle of the word. You know, like art is at the heart of what we do. We're artists, and we believe the farm is kind of like our big canvas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is like our, our piece of artwork that we're, that we're doing as a family. We're all contributing to this piece of artwork together. 
and and it's also our giant art studio essentially since I illustrate books here and and Michael does a lot of artsy things as well here and then ton at the end I mean I just that was kind of the funny part like there's a ton of work to do and it seems like there will always be a ton of work to do and so you put that all together and it's Briarton and it just seemed kind of um kind of like summed up just kind of in the moment kind of all the things we were thinking about and doing and what we cared about and it was kind of cute and funny and had like a secret message for us um and it was way better than Floyd Farm so that's what we went with (laughs) (laughs) so you did mention that you're artists tell us a little bit more about that and what you guys do as far as art goes you want to go where you Good start. <laughs> I'm always, I don't want to be the one that's always talking over him. I have a tendency to talk a lot. So I'm like, okay, I need to consciously like, do you like to say anything? <laughs> Otherwise I won't let him yeah, talk at I all. I mean, I guess the short, the broad answer to that is that we have all kinds of different things um, that we are artistic in the way that we approach them. So even when we're doing the woodworking and the, and the carpentry, we kind of look at it. From an more artist. as artists yeah. than, than um, you know, just from getting it done standpoint. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I I've enjoyed photography for many years. Um, since moving here, I've really gotten into creating videos. Um, I'm a calligrapher, and. Um, do some graphic design, things like that. So just in woodworking, like I just said. So just kind of all over the place. Um, (laughs) Sometimes I feel like I need to focus on one thing, but it's fun to to go from one to the other and to see how they interact with each other. You know, how do you, things you learn from one um, help you uh, doing another. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're both very right, right-brained, I guess you would say, and um, that's a blessing and a curse because you do have that kind of scatter brain, like, ooh, look, that's pretty. I'll work on that. Ooh, look over there. Um, so we we do struggle to focus because we have so many passions and interests, and they're all art-related. I feel like, or at least could be um, kind of lumped in there with an art. Um, and I'm, I'm mainly a painter, so I, like, I love to illustrate children's books. That's what I do kind of as, like, a side job um, at night when my kids are asleep. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm also, I feel like my house is also my canvas. And I love to decorate. I love homemaking. And um, so... You know, I'm, I'm also, like, hand-painting the walls instead of doing wallpaper and, like, hand-painting designs above doorways randomly. and All kinds of crafty stuff. Yeah, yeah, I make things and stuff. So this has been, it's such an inspiring place that it kind of brings it out of us, too. I've noticed just being here in this peaceful place, there's no traffic, there's no pollution or you know, honking or noise or, you know, you're just able to really just, your mind kind of opens up and we don't have a TV either. So that really helps us to have extra hours in our day, but also helps us to grow and stretch our creative muscles 
we're not, you know, being entertained necessarily. I mean, we do have some technology. We're not Amish, but <laughs> we've, yeah, it, mean, we've we noticed that there's a lot of ways that this place has brought out even new art forms that we didn't know we loved or that we didn't know oh. were things we were interested in. Um, so when I'm painting or when I'm drawing or whatever I'm doing, this place tends to kind of wiggle its way in to whatever I'm doing. <laughs> I love it so much. That's awesome. And I think that's typical of creatives to just always be have all the things going on in your mind going in all the different directions. You also have three beautiful girls that you're raising yeah. on the farm. Do they love it there? They do. I hope they I hope they truly appreciate it. Um and I think they do. It's going to be interesting to see when they grow up. I hope one of them will take over the place and keep it keep it going, keep it alive, keep it from being an abandoned farmhouse. Oh my goodness, that would be <laughs> nightmare but um they are just enjoying being wild carefree country girls I can't hardly get them to wear shoes um they just love running around outside and playing with all their animals and um my oldest is an artist as well she loves to draw and paint we'll see what the little two the two younger girls will end up being passionate about they're they're still um, mostly into baby dolls and things like that, but they, they love it here. And I, I know that this is kind of the reason why we even started this though. It's not just for us. Um, I always have to go back and remember like, why did, when it's a hard, when it's a hard moment, like we find out that something's rotten or <laughs> we need to fix another thing. And, um, and there goes our budget again. Um, I just always have to go back to, well, why, why did we, why did we say yes to this? Why did we move here? And it's for them. It's really, it's almost our love letter, love letter to them. And uh, so, yeah, I hope they enjoy and appreciate that. <laughs> They're so cute. That's beautiful. Do you want to talk about adoption? Sure. Uh, our youngest is adopted. Our two oldest are biological. And then our youngest we brought home in 2021 during the pandemic uh, from India. And she is just such a blessing. She's just a little treasure. Uh, we named her Ellie Pearl. And Pearl is a rare and precious treasure, you know. So that's she's our little Pearl. And um, she she's completely blind. Mm. And we've had... I think initially a lot of people were like, why are two artists <laughs> adopting a little girl who can't see? And it's really neat because that didn't really ever occur to us really as being an issue because art is not necessarily just something you can see. It's also something you can feel. And it's just art is everywhere. And it's it's absorbed in all different ways like dance and music and yeah, I mean, it's it's really fascinating to us, you know, because, I mean, everybody uses, everybody, every all sighted people, you know, use their sight so much, and it's such a dominant sense, mm -hmm. and so it, it's kind of fascinating um, to really think about what it would be like 
not to have that sense. And what you kind of notice is that, you know, this your sight and your ability to see things makes it so you don't notice a lot of things um, that are going on around you that you would notice. Mm-hmm. She's taught us a lot. If your eyes were closed. I think you know, she's deepened our appreciation for for life and she's deepened our understanding and also our our love for others and things like that. She's taught us so much and it's funny because we kind of say that she's opened our eyes and it's you know it's just that ironic thing that adopting a little girl who can't see how such a big impact that she's had on us and we share you know a lot on Instagram because and on our on our blog because we want to show the beauty of blindness it's not something to be scared of it's not you know contagious or you know or even gross or or sad it's not even sad it's just a different way of seeing um and so yeah we just love sharing this with her the farm with her she has just changed in in one year she's she just hit our her one year home anniversary was march 15th just a week or two ago so um, it's, it's been recent. amazing to go back. We just published the video of her homecoming, or, you know, like the day we got custody on our mm-hmm. blog. And we love to go back and watch those videos and just see how far she's come. Yeah, she's, it's, it's really has been amazing. Um, when, we, when, we, um, when we took custody of her, she could only uh, stand holding on to something for a very short time. She just had very little stamina or anything like that. and Nor, No core body strength or anything from just yeah. being in a crib all the time and, and mm-hmm. poor nutrition and, you know, just not enough interaction. But then, like, several months later, you know, we were... It was her birthday, and she'd been home quite a bit less than a year at that point and, what, nine months or so? And By her birthday, yeah. Yeah, I was trying to take a picture of her in the living room. And Sarah was standing a little ways to the to the side. And she was like, Ellie, come here. Ellie, come here. She was standing by herself at that point. And she had done that quite a bit. And Sarah and I kept trying to get her to, to walk towards her. Um, and this one day... She took her first step on her third oh. birthday. Oh. Right in front of our piano. And it was just such a, it was a miracle. You know, we didn't know when she would walk. Because, I mean, it was it was a lack of um, muscle tone, uh, lack of nutrition, but it was also the fear of falling. You know, you have, mm. everybody has that natural fear of getting hurt. Yeah, and she, she just... On her birthday. And, and just, it was this combination of her doing it, even though she was scared, and also how much um, she had bonded to Sarah, um, you know, as her mama, um, that she wanted it to be with her mama that bad that she was willing to, you know, walk across the room. And she didn't just take one or two steps, kind of an almost fall. She just, she went probably a good 10 feet. And it was, it was such a beautiful moment. On her, on her third birthday. Yeah, that was the most, probably the most special thing that's happened in this house, I'd say. Um, and so, you know, this house has become more than just 
a project. It's like the place where we get to witness miracles and the, the place where love conquers all. And, and um, it's just, I hope, I hope that everybody can, it's, I don't want to romanticize buying an old house. I don't want to over romanticize, you know, adoption or any of these things, you know, cause life is hard and, and all these things that we're talking about, you know, sometimes when you listen to a podcast, you're just like, wow, that's, that's nice for them. But you know, that couldn't happen to me. I, I always want to encourage people like we're nobody special. <laughs> we're just like a regular, um, just regular mommy and daddy. And it's amazing what, you know, what can happen if you just trust God and, and let him take control of, of the situation. We've, we had so many faith journeys and, um, one of them was buying this house when we didn't have a job set up, when we didn't know what would happen. And another was finding out that this house was barely standing <laughs> and having to save it quickly. Um, and then I think another was adopting Ellie. And we, we'd like to fill this house with, with more children. We can't uh, adopt again until we finish our bedroom. So that's one reason why we we want to finish that and get that rolling. You know, you have home studies and they're not too fond of gutted rooms. <laughs> 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 like, and what are you doing in here? <laughs> um, so you could be, um, you could be praying for us that that eventually happens. It's been seven, no, almost eight years now. So I think we're about due for a bedroom. Don't you think daddy? Yeah. We're, we're currently <laughs> sleeping on the floor in Ellie's room. It's a little tiny nursery and we have a full size bed and We're sleeping on a mattress on the floor. It, it still touches the the crib on one side and the wall on the other. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's cozy. Yeah. <laughs> but it's all been worth it. Yeah, that's so good. Why, why is it important that we preserve our American farms for future generations? Mm, that's a good question. I love that question. I think... I think for me, it's knowing where you came from. Um, like history is a mess. It's messy. Um, it's not, again, I don't, I don't want to romanticize history. Um, there was a lot of bad things, but there's a lot of good things and a lot of powerful stories that I think are important to preserve. Um, and one of those stories is um, immigrants, like the people who built this house, um, and just all they went through to give a better life to their children, which I guess is what we were doing too, in a way, in a modern way. Um, and so, you know, these houses are a representation of those stories, but they're also a representation of craftsmanship that is gone forever. Like, you cannot you know, old, old growth lumber and hand hewn wood and, um, handmade square nails and, and hand blown glass in your windows. And, you know, all these things that were done by hand before machinery and before, 
you know, um, power tools. These things, you can't really, the quality of craftsmanship and those details, just once they're gone, they're gone. Um, and those stories are lost too, because houses represent people and lives and stories lived. And so I feel like wherever you are, you may not even live in the U.S., wherever you are, it's important to to preserve the story of wherever you are. Um, and so, you know. Uh, we love, like this house in particular, you know, this wasn't the home of some famous statesman or, <laughs> yeah. you know, big business person or some famous artist or anything like that. It was a moderately successful farmer. Yeah. Um, and so by preserving this house and showing something closer to what it would have looked like over a hundred years ago, you know, it allows us and through sharing it uh, with other people online and, and in other places gives you a glimpse into the past, not just of this family, but of, you know, thousands of families from that time. Yeah. And the humble farmer's story matters. I mean, they are the backbone of any country is the humble farmers. And it, ten it tends to be that, you know, like the actors and the poets and the politicians, those people, their homes are preserved. Um, but it's the humble farmers whose story is often forgotten. And they're, they matter too. And the, their stories are just as important. They're just, um, you know, they're not as appreciated much, as much for some reason. Yeah, and, and we also feel that the houses in town, you know, like where we came from last, there was a historic district and all the houses in that area, you know, there were laws and things that you could do this and you couldn't do that, you know, they couldn't be torn down um, and all those things. Um, but generally in the country... <laughs> You know, no the law. good and the bad of, of being in the country is that there's so much less of that kind of regulation, you know. Um, it's good because when you move out here, you know, you can a lot in our area. I know that in other areas it's not so much, but, you know, there's just not a lot of people coming out and checking on your work and what you're doing and stuff. Um, but kind of the downside to that is that... Um, you know, com combining that with the fact that people often don't move a lot and a lot of these homes are on farmland that, um, you know, is really only valued as farmland. Um, um, so a lot of these houses, they're in a family and they just get handed down to the next generation or somebody lives there for decades and decades and decades and, you know, a lot of the maintenance uh, isn't kept up with. Um, or the person who bought it only cares about, about the land, you know, just for all these reasons, um, the farmhouses and barns and, and old barns, um, in our country, a lot of them are just falling into decay and there, you know, there's kind of a tipping point once they get so far gone that, um, you know, that, the difficulty of getting them restored at that point, you know, is so great that there's just not a lot of people who are, who are going to take that time and that effort and, 
and expense to go through. So we just are trying to open people's eyes to what's out there. Um, hopefully, you know, we can find more ways to get um, people who really care about these houses into them and restoring mm -hmm. them in a thoughtful way. Yeah. You know, not just keeping them live, just keep keeping them lived in and intact. Um, but, you know, really appreciating them for who they are, <laughs> appreciating yeah. them for what they are and for, you know, keeping what makes them so special, you know, still there. Alive. Yeah. Yeah. When I don't, I kind of have this fear in the back of my head that someday my girls will only be able to read about, um, you know, like they'll only be able to read about old farmhouses in Anne of Green Gables or Little House on the Prairie or Sarah Plain and Tall. They'll they'll be able to read these books, but they will have no actual living, breathing representation of what that is. What does a historic farm look like? You know, because we're losing them at such a rapid rate. The original agricultural architecture of any country is so important to preserve because that is the backbone of that country. And if we can only read about it, then we we might not be getting the full picture, you know. So we need to have, you know, and not just museums, but houses that people are really still living in to show that value there. That they're not just museum pieces. They can still be used and loved and lived in well. I think that's important. Mm. So good. <laughs> well, guys, you're really inspiring a lot of people by what you've done, and I so appreciate our conversation. How do we follow along with everything you have going on and the updates on the house and life and all of that? Sure. Well, we have a blog, um, briartonfarm.com. Um, we, because we don't, we do this more just out of passion right now um, while our kids are little, we don't post on there really regularly but you can see like before and afters you can see like a before tour <laughs> what it looked like when we bought it and and what it looks like now that's a great resource for people um and then I do post nearly every day on Instagram which Briarton Farm on Instagram and that's where I can share kind of the day-to-day -day stuff that's really quick and easy for me to, as a mom to just kind of post stuff on there I do share my art on there and, and, and then also what we're doing with the house and just all the little things we're accomplishing. We really appreciate you letting us talk your ear off. With all I this. love it. <laughs> no, I really you, love it. It's you great so to sweet. know you guys. So, oh, all right. You. Well, we will link to all of that in the show notes. And okay. Sarah also sells her art on her website. It's beautiful. So you should go check yeah. that oh, out. Oh, thank you. But, yeah. <laughs> But um, guys, thanks for being on the podcast. I really appreciate sure, it. Sure, sure. We loved it. Thanks for having us. You were yeah. a great host. Oh, thank you. <laughs>Well, this is such an important story in so many ways, and I admire Michael and Sarah for honoring the history of their home and their intentionality behind preserving the original detail and architecture of the time period, not to mention their perseverance through this journey. Huge thanks to Michael and Sarah for being on the podcast, and thanks to you for tuning in. Have a great day, everybody.